The information discussed on this show is not intended or implied to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. All content is for general informational purposes only. It's Guys Guy Radio. Here's your host, Robert Manny. Welcome to Guys Guys Radio. This is your host, Robert Manny, welcoming you to the show where men and women can be at their best and everyone wins. Guys Guys Radio. We're here to inform you, inspire you, empower you, and get you to think and feel and who knows, maybe even act by virtue of the journeys, stories, experiences, and insights from the guests I bring you each and every week to the show. And once again, today's show is no exception. We've got some great information for you to consider. We're going to talk about ADHD. It's a topic I didn't know too much about until I prepped for this week's show and read the book from my guest. And I think you're really going to enjoy our conversation. Her name is Tamara Rogier. She's a PhD, and she's written a book called Your Brain's Not Broken. It's all about strategies for navigating your emotions and life with ADHD. I'm sure every one of you out there knows somebody who has ADHD, whether it's a child or an adult. And some of us know more about the topic than others, and there's a lot of different opinions on it and different ways of treating it. But the main thing is, If you know somebody who may or may not have it, you want to help them cope because this is a crazy, chaotic world we're living in to begin with. If you don't have ADHD, it's a big enough challenge. If you do, they don't really have a lot of systems in place in the school systems, particularly to help kids out and also in the business world to take into consideration adults who are hardworking and productive adults that may be wrestling with ADHD. And a lot of other folks, they don't know about it, and they figure, what's wrong with this person? And there's nothing wrong with them. They just have something that they have to work with. And the best thing we can do is help them and be empathetic and and help them cope. The good news is there are support systems out there that I learned from my guest where there's, excuse me, groups you can join. There's coaches you can work with. And there's a lot more information out there than there ever has been. So... I think the biggest thing is let's not judge people, let's not label them, and let's help, let's be empathetic and let's help people cope. So Guys Guys Radio, my special guest, Tamara Rogier, PhD, we're going to talk about ADHD. It's coming up in about a minute or so. I just want to touch on a couple of other things, wondering how, you know, how your summer is. You know, it flies by so fast. We hit 4th of July, and then it seems like just take off, and before you know it, it's the back-to-school back to school sales going on. It just it seems to fly by a lot faster than, than winter, uh, of course, but I guess because we have so much fun in the summer. So I hope you're having a good one. I hope you're understanding that with all the crazy stuff going on, that everybody has their own unique set of challenges along with the collective challenges we have, and it's all that more important not to react, but to respond and to sometimes hold our tongue and not be quick to wag the finger and point at people and start yelling and fighting and everything else that's going on out there that we have to just, let's see how we can take it down a notch and how we can live peacefully and really send the right energy out there to help the world improve as a place where we live because it's really tough out there right now and i would suggest that the first thing that everyone needs to do is work on themselves 
the more we can work on ourselves, the more we'll be able to impact others in a positive way. So think about that. Go inside, whether it's first thing in the morning, last thing in the evening, and just contemplate a little bit, quiet yourself down. If you meditate, meditate. If you just want to sit quietly for a few minutes, review the day or think about what you want to accomplish during the day. But just don't get up and go crazy and immediately jump to the phone and the coffee and just start buzzing around. If you can, get up a little earlier. Do Maybe do a little box breathing. Maybe do some meditation. Do a little stretching. Whatever it is. But don't go nuts because it's really easy these days to get triggered and to just get caught up and all that dysfunction that's out there. So take care of yourself. Work on yourself no matter what's going on out there. If you work on yourself, we all have a better chance of making it work. So Guys Guys Radio, my special guest is Tamara Rogier, PhD. We're going to talk about ADHD. So let's do it right now. It's Guys Guy Radio. Today we're going to talk about ADHD. We hear a lot about it, and it's a good thing because it means more people can learn about it and improve their situation because it's such a sometimes confusing topic for a lot of people, and so many people are afflicted with ADHD and they're functioning humans, and we want to really learn more about it. So I got a special guest. Her name is Tamara Rogier. She's president of the ADHD Coaches Association, a popular conference and keynote speaker. And she's a frequent guest across media who's published numerous articles about living with ADHD. She's the founder of the ADHD Center in Western Michigan, where she and her staff work with individuals with ADHD and their families to learn strategies and develop new skills for living effectively with ADHD. We're going to talk about her book today. It's called Your Brain's Not Broken, Strategies for Navigating Emotions and life with ADHD. I thought it was a really important topic for us today on Guys Guys Radio because we're basically here to present information that you may not be aware of. And I, as you know, we cover all different topics from all different types of guests who can add value and help us all live our best lives. So welcome to Guys Guys Radio. Tamara Rogier, welcome to the show. Hey, I am so glad to be here. Thanks. Let's start right at the beginning. What is ADHD and how many Americans, you know, basically are afflicted with this condition? Well, the estimates keep going up. Uh, so ADHD is really a neurological condition and it's difficult to get an accurate diagnosis these days too. So we're going to uncover all that, but there's a lot of jokes about ADHD, like, look, squirrel. And something I want everyone to know today that ADHD it is about attention, but it's also about emotional regulation. Now, you are afflicted with ADHD, according to your book. Is that correct? Oh, yes. Um, afflicted, blessed. Yes. Okay. I live a Lucille Ball lifestyle. Yes. Okay. Uh, let, me, let me set a little context here. I know nothing about ADHD. I don't have it as far as I know. My wife doesn't have it as far as I know. We keep an eye on our son. He's a little bit different than us. We don't, we're not sure exactly because, you know, we have one child and it's always a learning experience, but you never know. So I want to lay it all out there for people who may not be too aware of it. So when you say a gift and an affliction, how does that work? Yeah. So I, I, I'm not one of those people that really does believe ADHD is a gift. 
Um, I'm also not one that says it's an affliction. It's a difference. It's a neurological difference. And the reason why this is important is um, I believe that many ADHD people are just ill-equipped for the modern world. Uh, what happens is when you when one has ADHD, they have unreliable access to their prefrontal cortex. So if your listeners tap on their forehead, that's where their prefrontal cortex is. And that is the area that plans ahead, thinks ahead, answers email in a timely fashion, remembers where the car is parked. So it's the seed of executive functions. Most of elementary school has to do with executive functions more than learning. Now, how did you realize that you had this gift slash affliction or difference? Yeah, uh, I was actually uh, in undergrad. I was training to be a high school teacher. And way back then, um, it was in the 1980s. And I read in a textbook that there was this thing called, it was called ADD back then. Right. And I looked at it and went, well, everyone does these things. (laughs) And then I said it to my friend. She's like, no, not everyone does it. I'm like, huh. But it was still a naughty boy disease back then. And so I didn't do anything getting getting a diagnosis or anything. But wouldn't you know, when I was a classroom teacher, I was so good at teaching a specific population of my students. They were the ADHD students because we kind of spoke the same language. And so uh, that really helped me realize I actually have uh, ADHD myself. Let's talk about that. And by the way, my special guest, Tamara Rogier, she is a PhD. So uh, she's accredited and knows a, a lot about this topic. And if being somebody who's experiencing it on a daily basis, she's really going to help us out. So you said you were connecting with a certain group in your classes, and they were the ones who, according to you, had ADHD. How, how, how does that all work? Uh, you know, you, I see this a lot of times in my um, center. Uh, the ADHD folks, which just kind of link up mentally, and you'll see us go, oh, I understand. In other words, we use a different kind of logic. Uh, most of us are very, very sensitive emotionally. And so we're picking up what other people are feeling faster. Um, I've, in my office, I've sat with people and the two ADHD people and, and me will kind of really match up uh, intellectually and kind of speech pattern wise. And it leaves the neurotypical person, the person without ADHD, kind of going, wait, what's happening here? Uh, what's, how are they communicating so quickly and efficiently? I know it's tough, but can you give like an example of that where you guys would be connecting and other people would say, well, how are they connecting? They're, you know? Yeah. So it's a premise of ADHD and something that goes, um, it, my entire book is about the emotional side of ADHD. Right. And that really is one of the first books that talks about the the emotional effects of having ADHD. In other words, because we don't have that prefrontal cortex to kind of skim through thoughts and ideas, it goes to a different part of our brain and we make sense of it emotionally. So those of us with ADHD have big emotions, but emotions about everything. And so... A lot of times uh, you'll see us sync up and go, oh, my goodness, I have the same feelings about that. Or I have different feelings. I don't like this. And so you'll, you're starting to see the ADHD folks talk on a more emotional level. 
Um, many of us speak faster and definitely um, on it. Yeah. Just on a deeper emotional, not deeper emotional level. I want to be clear. We're not speaking deeply. It's just, we start with the emotions first. Now you say the prefrontal cortex, it's there. Everybody has it, but it's w- yes. wired differently with people with ADHD. Uh, well, the uh, we have unreliable access to our prefrontal cortex. Um, dopamine is goes there, and dopamine is our uh, focus directing chemical in our brain. And it says, "Tamara, pay attention to this. Don't pay attention to this over here. That's not what we should be looking at. Look here." And for those of us with ADHD, we we have unreliable dopamine. And so um, it goes from like one to 10, one to 10, one to 10, and it just bounces. Whereas a person who can regulate, who regulates their dopamine, it's a much more even line. So could you extrapolate that out and say, okay, for a person like that, they could, they must have great powers of concentration on specific things because they go deeper. Is, is that true? Am I, I don't know if I'm articulating yeah. it the right way, like because they don't get pulled away and even though that they can get fragmented, but if they, they lock in on one thing so they can probably get really good at something. Right. So we call that hyper-focus okay. and that's when my dopamine is at, it's high, it's high interest. And remember we have nervous systems that are set, set up to kind of go where our interests are. The bright and shiny things get my attention, right? And so the dopamine is surging then. It has my attention. And so I go into what we would call hyperfocus. And hyperfocus is not a myth for those of us with ADHD. We, a marching band could walk through and we won't pay any attention. But you see, even then, the dopamine isn't well-regulated, right? It's too much dopamine at that point. Um, and so... We either have too much or not enough. It's the reason why we take uh, stimulants for our medication. The stimulants help us um, manage and have adequate dopamine without surging to too much or too little. What are some of the behavioral signposts uh, that people can look for to see other people who may have ADHD? We're everywhere. So uh, you'll see us if you know what you're uh, looking for. So in my practice, um, when I joke and say, hey, we're everywhere, um, I work with very smart professionals, uh, people who you wouldn't think had ADHD, lawyers, um, surgeons, a lot of doctors. And the key here is intelligence is not associated with ADHD. That's a separate construct. So you can be very smart and still have ADHD. Um, I was just talking with a client yesterday um, and he said to me, yeah, I keep getting this, this feedback from people going, oh yeah, you have ADHD, but you're a different kind of ADHD. And he reassures them, no, I still have working memory issues. I have short-term memory issues and I have emotional regulation issues. Three hallmarks of ADHD. And when you, when you see all three of those together, you can start to see um, the picture of ADHD taking up. My special guest, Tamara Rogier, PhD. We're talking about ADHD. Her book is Your Brain's Not Broken, Strategies for Navigating Your Emotions and Life with ADHD. Why do you think it is, you mentioned earlier, Tamara, that 
The numbers keep going up. Do you think it has anything to do with our culture? Well, I believe ADHD has always been around. I personally can look back at my family tree and see it through my family tree. Uh, Just historically thinking about my grandfather born in 1913. um, He dropped out of school because he wasn't good at school and he was left-handed. And that seemed to be a big deal back then. Um, He went to work in the mines. He eventually taught himself how to be um, an engineer. Okay. We don't live in that world now, right? You don't drop out of school in sixth grade because you're not good at it. And so our culture has higher expectations, which I'm not saying is a bad thing or a good thing. It's just different. ADHD is very, very sensitive to the environment in which it's in. It's why some people can go through all their lives having ADHD and it never shows up. It's because they're living in an environment that works for them. ADHD shows up when our environment surpasses um, our ability to manage it. Now, there's some, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, it seems like certain things become boring for people with ADHD, and they could be not boring things, but because they're focused on certain things, even though they might not be the most interesting things, they might be very interesting to the person with ADHD. And there's a challenge with modulating the focus that we that person puts on different things. So sometimes they don't want to be pulled away from something. And is, is that correct? What I'm saying is that directionally in the yeah, race? Yeah. Uh, Thomas Brown, um, an MD who writes a lot about ADHD, says that we have a nervous system that's set up to constantly look for excitement, to look for the new. And so we our nervous system is always on the horizon to look for the new, the new dangerous or the new exciting, but it's the new whatever. And that's how our nervous system is set up. The unfortunate thing is uh, doing boring things and mundane tasks really don't fit that category as new and emotionally stimulating. So it's those things that just kind of fall by the wayside for us. We're not lazy. They're really difficult for us to do. That's so fascinating. You mentioned uh, terms convergent and divergent thinking throughout your book. What is, what is that? So convergent thinking is what's really, re- remember, we're kind of making an argument that ADHD folks are ill-adapted to modern life, okay? And a lot of modern life is convergent thinking. Convergent thinking is what Sherlock Holmes does. It's a form of convergent thinking. He looks at all these various clues, comes up with the right answer, the person who murdered someone. Um, A lot of convergent tasks are the you have to look around and come up with one answer. Um, Scheduling, uh, uh, answering emails um, is often seen as a convergent task. You just do that. Right. For those of us with ADHD, we often feel like our just do it button is broken. We prefer the divergent approach. And so um, both humans can do both kinds of thinking. It's just ADHD people prefer divergent. Divergency is when you take one idea and you blow it up into 50 million pieces by saying, well, what if this? What if this? What if this? And you dive down all kinds of rabbit holes just exploring 
the possibilities. Now, there are classes being taught throughout our country on how to think divergently. And my appeal to ADHD folks is, no, no, you already do that beautifully. Focus on learning how to think convergently and when to do uh, each kind of thinking. Is there an aspect for people with ADHD not always being present or being distracted where instead of uh, like getting up in the morning and getting into like reading a book or looking at a screen or what, just always being kind of distracted by everything except for the world around them and processing that? Or is that just a, what's happening in our culture? Uh, yeah, I'm not sure that's um, typical of all ADHD people. Um, I do know that our minds, we tend to have 10 or 12 conversations going on in our head at once. And they're just kind of pinging around. Not actual conversations, but like 10 or 12, like just thoughts just kind of pinging in. In fact, many of my clients say once they're medicated, that whole cacophony goes down to one or two thoughts at a time. Um, And that's the divergent thinking happening inside our brain. So, uh, you know, for example, when I woke up today, I'm like, oh, shoot, I forgot to do this. And then I had a moment where, but what if I don't do that? That's the divergent thinking. And then this would happen. This would happen. This would happen. Instead, I just stopped myself and said, keep it convergent, write it down and just do it um, when you're ready. You mentioned uh, medication a couple of times, and I don't want to get into recommending. I mean, I'm not a doctor, and I don't want to get into recommending any medications to the audience either. What can? What are some practical tools that people can use on themselves and uh, other family members, if you will, and friends who who are experiencing ADHD? I mean, playing sports, getting sunshine, swimming. I mean, there are other other things so, that they can do that are not, you know, yeah. medically induced. I, first of all. Um, I don't represent pharmaceuticals. I'm not all for pharmaceuticals, but I wear glasses. I wear contacts and that helps me under, that helps me see better. Right? So when you take a stimulant and I'm just talking about the stimulant category for it, it's like giving a person glasses for their brains. So there's a lot of stigma around this and I really would love to see that stigma go away. We can't get addicted to our um, ADHD stimulant medication. We're not drug users. Um, it is okay. So that I really want that to be a viable option. And stimulants work for 80% of us. Um, however, there are some things that we can do that are just silver bullets. Exercise for the ADHD person, especially, clears the brain. Um, it's, it helps with clear, um, different lymphatic, lymphatic systems. That is absolutely, um, a silver bullet for us. Another one is being in nature, um, ADHD brains because of the prefrontal cortex, um, not always being online. There's something that happens with the ADHD brain when we are in nature and it re- actually rebalances us. And one of my wishes for adolescents with whom I work, a lot of them are basement dwellers. They just dwell in their parents' basements and, you know, they come out into the sun only, you know, when necessary and their eyes are all squinty from not seeing sunlight. So a lot of those kids, um, actually seeing the sunlight does help regulate. 
Nothing's going to work as well as um, actually seeking medication. But those are two sure things that will help. How about diet, Tamara? All right. So I'm, I'm just going to say this. This is very unpopular. You might get letters about this. We have too much sugar in, our, in this culture, and it's wrecking us. Um, and here's the problem. When you have an ADHD brain, uh, we also have an addictive brain. And you know what's highly addictive? Sugar. If you don't believe me, cut it out of your diet for 30 days and see how you're feeling. Mm-hmm. It is very, very addictive. And ADHD brains, because of the wiring, have a tendency to become more addicted to things. And so sugar is just a freaking nightmare for all of us with ADHD. How about screen time? Because, uh, you know, so much of our culture, it's either the phone or the laptop or your iPad, whatever. We're always on the screen. And we, with my son, we limit his screen time as much as possible. And I think it's a good thing. And so does my wife, because there's so much out there and you want to really interrelate with other people and nature, as you say. Does screen time or too much screen time and a lot of those for Jossic images that are on uh, a lot of the shows and all for the kids stuff. There's so many, I'm from the world of advertising. I understand this. There's so many quick cuts now. You can't even process something before you've gotten six other images in front of your face. I can't think that's a good thing if you have ADHD. It's not, it's not good culturally for us either. Right. So, uh, screen time let's just take screen time apart from the advertising apart from the images a second screen time itself is not good or bad what we want to do is have everything in moderation and so screens are great they're they're a great addition you and i are speaking through a screen exactly but but we're also people especially adhd folks we need to work out that excess energy And it's really great when we can work it out physically. Um, And so we do want to kind of not forget to interact with a real concrete world. Okay. Um, And the real world is easy for ADHD folks to lose themselves in screen time. And because, again, those little addictive brains keep wanting to crave and crave and crave it. um, It's really good to get them um, separated from from it. Right. However, the images, uh, we have a kind of brain that's very, very sensitive to images. And you combine our brain that's sensitive to images, because that's right behind our prefrontal cortex, and our high empathy in many of us with ADHD, you've got just a mess there waiting to happen. And so we really, um, I, I, this is not research now, just my observation. I think ADHD kids can easily be manipulated um, through their emotions with advertisement. I want a, a couple more questions for the, the adult aspect of this, and then I want to focus on the remainder of our interview on kids. So for yourself, your own personal journey, two questions. One, how have you evolved spending so much time studying this and experience this over time? And what have you learned that could really help others? That would be my first question. So. It's it's interesting because ADHD coaches are some of the most well-regulated ADHD folks out there. Um, I hang out with them. If you don't know an ADHD coach, make a friend with an ADHD coach because they really do know how to manage their ADHD. Um, I want you to know every day 
it's hard. It takes more energy for me to do simple things uh, than it would take you. And I'm talking simple things like task initiation. However, um, I get better at managing it. So although it's more of an energy drain on my battery, I keep getting better at it. Um, I have resigned myself to, I use ADHD logic. And I can, I don't think like a neurotypical person does. And so I rely on people around me who are neurotypical. I just met with my administrative assistant this morning. She's concerned about my calendar. I'm letting too many people in. She's looking down the road and she's like, wait a minute, you're not seeing this. And I said, well, and I kind of, I did see it, but I just kind of, eh, it's going to be fine. You know, that wishful thinking that I have. And she's like, no, can I just block these two days off just in case? And I'm like, yes, this is why I pay you to do this. Okay. Is she ADHD? Um, she's not ADHD. Okay. She's neurotypical. Okay. And so one of the things I recommend is if you have ADHD and you're trying to make it in a modern world, find the people who think in a neurotypical way. They're well aligned and borrow their prefrontal cortexes when you can. I'm not saying learned helplessness. I'm saying I'm, a, I'm aware and I hire her and pay her to do that kind of thinking for me. That's very wise. Are there uh, support groups then for adults with ADHD? Absolutely. Uh, there's a national uh, group called ADA. Um, it stands for adults with ADHD. That's ADDA.com. Fantastic organization. Uh, they work with, uh, they have so much going on. Check out their website. Um, and they're really great at supporting people with ADHD. Obviously, you know, I'm going to pr promote ADHD coaching as a viable option. Mm -hmm. uh, find a good coach. You can do that through ADHD coaches um, organization dot uh, org and, uh, you know, get help with this. I also want to add that ADHD is hereditary. And so if you have one person kind of wandering around in your family and there's no traumatic brain injury or they're not adopted, odds are you have more than one person wandering around in your family with ADHD. And so uh, I say that because we like to just kind of pick on the problem child and go, well, you have ADHD. And yet I'm, you know, I work with families and I see, well, mom, you have ADHD too. Let's, let's work with that. Okay. Let's get, let's get into the kids. Again, uh, my special guest, Dr. Tamara Rozier, we're talking about your brain's not broken her book about strategies for navigating and the emotions of ADHD. So how this, with so many kids nowadays, people are saying, oh, ADHD or no, it doesn't have it. How, what are some of the guideposts that that parents can watch when they're watching their kid grow up and say is he or she adhd or not and then the steps they can take into managing that so what's the what are the key things to look for mm -hmm. so the key things is so there's two um there's actually three types but there's inattentive adhd and hyperactive adhd it's all called adhd now but the inattentive types are hard to catch because many times they're even rule following good little kids who sit there and they just go back in their head. No, they're still physically present, 
but they'll just go back and play with Legos in the back of their head. And, you know, in another time and place, this would be called daydreaming, right? That's inattentive ADHD. Now, hyperactive ADHD, we're easy to catch. We're constantly on the move. We're fiddling with things. We have, we will pick at our nails. We'll, I remember when I was in school, I loosened the bolt on my seat in third grade so I could have a wobble seat. So technically I invented the wobble seat guys. That's, <laughs> that's my, but, um, and so can a, can a kid be both? Can a kid be bounced back and forth? It's the third kind. Yes. Okay. And so the inattentives, you'll kind of see this kind of spaciness and go, wait, what'd you just say? And the adult will go for crying out loud, go brush your teeth. And they're like, wow, you don't need to yell at me. Meanwhile, the adult is like, this is the sixth time I've asked you. Right. Um, in kids, I look for short-term memory um, and working memory. That's There's usually a gap. Also emotional regulation. Um, with a lot of kids, I hear kids really wanting to do well. And I work with those little guys and they really want to do well. And then they'll say, oh, I failed again. I'm just so stupid. I should know better. And when I say to them, so it didn't go well in school. What do you think you might do differently? They look at me and go try harder. And I'm like, buddy, I think you're trying as hard as you can. I think we actually need skills here. So something I want to add for those of your listeners, if you think you have an ADHD child, the ADHD child runs about three years behind in ability to organize and emotionally regulate. Three years. And I can almost hear one of your listeners go, oh, that makes sense. Because he plays with his brother's friends and they're, you know, three years behind. Um, and, and remember, this has nothing to do with IQ. So you can have an exceptionally smart child who's just really bad at managing those executive functions. Uh, how about with interacting with other kids? Uh, the, do the ADHD tendency kids have a tougher time making friends? Are they more loners? Are they, do they like to play alongside other kids? How, is, is there any kind of uh, telltale signs there in terms of their interactions, uh, you know, sandbox playing, if you will? Yeah, so I this um, I have worked with students who are very socially intelligent and know how to work a room. I mean, by sixth grade, they're working the room. They know it. They still have ADHD, which means their executive functions are still lagging behind. Um, other ADHD people report to me that they're always kind of feeling a little bit out of place. And especially out of place with their peers. And that's, that seems to be the key. So if you have them, a lot of parents will say, he just doesn't have any friends at school. Or she doesn't know how to behave with other girls her age. And that's probably the truth. So if that's happening, I would suspect ADHD. And what can they do um, then? If, a, if you have a kid like that who's not making, who's a good kid who's not making friends as quickly as uh, he or she can. Is, is that, that's not necessarily ADHD though, is it? No. So here's what I tell parents, please, please, please stop worrying because ADHD kids are incredibly sensitive 
And what happens sometimes is parents telegraph that worry, oh, they're not developing normally socially. And then the child starts to pick up that worry as their own. And so I work with, you know, a couple uh, months ago, I worked with a 12-year-old that says, I don't think I'm developing normally. I'm like, what are you talking about? He's like, well, I think I should have more friends. Like, where did this come from? And so finally it came from his mom worries and his mom will say things like, why don't you invite friends over? You should have friends over. Who are you playing with today? And if, if our kids are running three years behind, let's take that pressure off of them. Let's, let's either find kids three years behind them or three years above them if they're um, particularly smart. We can find kids to play with. It doesn't have to be their specific age group. How about the educational system now? Because so many kids more and more have ADHD. Are the schools sensitized to that? And do they? how are they working with the kids? Or are they just like ignoring them and then plow straight ahead? Because you know how it is with school. It's like, memorize this. And if you spit it out, you get an A on the test. And that means like you have a good memory, but it doesn't mean that you're necessarily processing the 3D conceptualization of certain ideas. Yeah, it's interesting because... A lot of students I work with are ill-equipped for K-12 right now. K-12 puts a lot of emphasis on memorization, doing it right, doing it in the um, convergent style of thinking. These often are learners who can deeply learn something, especially if they're interested, and they make these wild connections. You're like, dude, I never even put that together. And that's, that's how their brains work. But the K-12 system isn't set up for that. And so I see a lot of my students falling through the cracks. Um, I was just talking to a teacher who retired after 31 years um, who lives in Michigan. And she said, uh, Tamara, I retired because I, I can't teach the way this, the district is asking me to teach. I want to teach every student. And I know I'm going to lose some the way they want me to teach. And when I asked her why, it was what you just said, Guy. It's one, one size fits all, right? Just memorize and spit it out. Move, yeah. Move them along. So what can parents do then to make sure that their kids don't get left behind? They could have a super, sounds like they could have a very intelligent, highly intelligent kid that is a little bit behind in terms of the emotional development, and it can really work against them in a much more exaggerated way than it needs to. Oh, you said it perfectly. Uh, it's a oh, that that was so nice, nicely said. Uh, so here's what par- I recommend parents do. Um, you are your child's advocate. You know this kid. You love this kid. So first, shore up the child. And just because you're not a good fit at school doesn't mean you're not smart. It means that's the environment, buddy. And we got to figure out how to work with the environment. That's what we're going to do. Do you see? We're taking the shift off of of I'm not smart to it's an environment issue. Let's figure out this environment. And so you have your, your little daughter going to school every day. You're going to teach her how to work within the environment. And then not in front of your daughter or your son, you're going to go and have conversations like, here's how you can support my child uh, with the teachers and the principals. Now, you mentioned that as an adult, you are attracted, can identify other folks with ADHD. For kids who are not really aware of that, and they don't want to feel like they're different, you, and you don't want to tell 
your kid like, wow, you have ADHD. And then they're like, oh my God, how, do, how does, um, how do the parents manage that, uh, that aspect? Because it sounds like it could, the, the, some of these kids have a lot of fear to begin with. Uh, how do you, uh, um, what I'm looking for is ways we can help parents empathize with their children. So they don't think like, Hey, I asked you to brush your teeth seven times. And then they start screaming at them because the, the kids should know that every morning you're going to end up brushing your teeth. Anyhow, why do I have to keep no. saying that? Right. Oh, yes. Well done. So first of all, if there, if you have a child with ADHD, there's a parent with ADHD. Okay. Mm-hmm. So if one person has ADHD and they're married to a neurotypical, they have 50% chance of having an ADHD child. So um, I'm all about normalizing ADHD in the household. Um, hey, your brain works a little bit differently. So I'm going to tell you to brush your teeth and I'm going to hand you this banana. You're going to take this banana like a plastic little banana. This is a technique I used with a family. You're going to take this banana and you're going to take it to the bathroom and you're going to hold on to this banana until you're done brushing your teeth. Then you're going to bring it back to me. Is that a deal? And they're like, banana. And, you know, you just keep the banana as the, you know, whatever toothbrushing. If if it was a $10 bill, it would work with my son. Well, it has, but the banana is new and it's funny. And so they'll hold it because literally um, I worked with a a little boy. He came out of the bathroom and goes, mom, I can't remember why I'm holding this right now. Because the mom would say, hold this and give it back to me after you do it. And he literally walked in. Um, He's a very smart young man, but short-term memory issues. Okay, Tamara Rosier, PhD, my special guest on Guys Guys Radio. We're talking about ADHD in her book, Your Brain's Not Broken. I want to circle back to something about the kids with ADHD or at least the tendencies of that. Can they identify the other kids who are, and do they kind of lean towards and, and attract other kids with the same thing? As you mentioned, as an adult, you can spot the other folks and hang with them and identify with them. But kids, since it's all new, can they do that? Uh, children are very, very egocentric. And so they think they're very quick, quick to think there's something wrong with me. I'm different. I stand out. But the law of attraction among the ADHDs is still true. So they don't understand what they're doing, but they will attract. I, I do see ADHD people kind of running uh, in their own little gangs because let's, let's face it, we're funny. We make each other laugh. We like to make each other laugh and kind of cut up a little bit in school, right? For especially for the hyperactive ones. And so you do see them um, congregating together, but I, they don't understand. I don't know why. Um, okay. and, right. And it's very confusing for that inattentive ADHD person to go, I wish they would just shut up so I can focus, right? So um, the inattentive ADHD folks are very, um, they're more apt to hide in plain sight, and they're ch- more apt to choose neurotypical friends. Is there an empathy issue with ADHD kids in that they don't empathize with other people or other kids? Just the opposite. Uh, ah, okay. Very often. So think of um, ADHD empathy as a light switch. Either it's fully on, and it's fully on, like you have all my empathy and I'm getting a stomach ache for you because I'm so with you or it's off 
and it's it's only about me. It's full egocentrism. And so does, it's a light. Does it go on and off with the, the same individual? Or is it sometimes if you're an ADHD kid, it's off or it's on? Or is it pinging? Yeah. Uh, most of the time I see it's in the stuck on position. Um, for example, if a parent scolds another sibling, that ADHD child could feel quite upset about that experience. Um, and get a stomach ache from it. You know, they really highly, highly empath- empathetic. Um, they'll befriend kids at school because they don't have any other friends. Um, but then I can see those other um, kids who, it, for a while, I think between third grade and seventh grade is stuck in one or the other position. You don't see it flip a lot. Um, from there, you start to see it flip a little bit more. Um, and empathy starts to develop from animals. So I see um, most of the ADHD children I work with love animals and they have that empathetic feel with animals. And the parents are like, how come they show no empathy to their brothers or sisters? I'm like, well, that's not developed yet. So it does develop in concentric circles out and parents are the very, very last circle. You mentioned in your book, like fear, what is uh, talk to us about fear with the kids that they uh, who have ADHD, what are, what are they afraid of? Are they afraid of different things that other kids aren't afraid of? Or how does fear intersect with what they're going through? Yeah, ADHD kids are afraid of the same things as their neurotypical counterparts, except we have wonderful imaginations. So we can take a fear and using that divergent thinking, blow it up into 50 million pieces, asking what if. And so we can watch a movie as a child, and then think of all the bad things that could happen. And that's where um, this kind of fear of ang- and anxiety comes in. Mm-hmm. Are there certain careers that people, uh, kids uh, could be aiming towards or people who, who are adults uh, that are more apt to succeed in who have ADHD? No, really, there's not. Okay. The only prerequisite is that they're actually interested in it. And so I have seen incredibly bright people do everything because they're interested in it. And it's the interest that drives our performance. Amazing. Okay. Tamara Rozier, PhD, your brain's not broken strategies for navigating your emotions and life with ADHD. Fantastic job. I really want to get, create some empathy with people for other people whether it be parents for kids or adult to adult, because it's everywhere, ADHD. And I just wanted to give some people some information so they could spot it and know how to deal with it with kindness, because it's very easy, particularly if you're dealing with a kid and they're not, you know, it doesn't seem like they're listening or whatever, that you, that parents can get upset. And I think we need to learn how to, you have to manage your child a little bit differently if they have some of those tendencies. So thank you so much, Tamara. And tell everybody where they can find out more about you and maybe get some coaching. Yeah. Thank you, Robert. Um, You can uh, find out more about me at TamaraRosier.com. And also uh, our business website is MIADHD.com. Fantastic. Great job. Thank you so much. Go ahead. um, Please find an ADHD coach. Uh, We're all over the nation. And there's so many really good ADHD coaches out there. And you mentioned groups too, uh, support groups. Yes. Uh, okay. Ada.com is another great 
Ada.org. Sorry. Fantastic. Okay. Thank you so much. Great job. And I'm so happy to be able to bring this information out to people. Keep doing what you're doing. Thanks. I appreciate it. It's Guys Guy Radio. What an illuminating conversation with Tamara Rogier, PhD, about ADHD. Really learned a lot, and there's a lot more to learn. So number one, I'm not a doctor. I don't play one on Guys Guys Radio either. I'm learning about things as you are out there, and I share them with you. So I shared what I know about it. I asked the questions as someone who knows very little about ADHD. And the more research I did, the more I found that I was more and more empathetic to the fact that so many people out there are afflicted with ADHD. And there's, we really need more systems in place to help these folks because it's all about coping. We have a fast-paced world. If you have ADHD, it's, it's, the world's tough enough. If you have ADHD, it's going to be even tougher. And it's not like the business world or the school systems, public school systems at least, give you any type of break. If you have ADHD, they plow ahead. This life keeps moving, so you got to keep up. So there's a lot of support systems out there more and more, so something to take advantage of. So that's a good thing. The other thing is uh, that I learned is that boys have this uh, twice as much as girls, and men uh, have it. 1.6 times as many times as women do. That's ADHD. So just be aware of that. Why? I don't know. And from everything I've read, I didn't get a real answer to that. And I don't know if anybody really knows, but there's a lot of people that have this. uh, Over between 30 and 50% of kids who have it will carry it on to their adult years. So it's all about coping with just another another thing to deal with when you're... uh, going through life. And uh, the journey can be as challenging as it is already in this chaotic, crazy world uh, without having something like that. In addition to that, in our culture today, we've got it so fast paced. And if you watch TV, if you watch, you play video games or anything like that, the imagery is so, there's so many quick cuts. There's so much action and violence, if you will, uh, on the screen. And people are addicted to screen time. And it's probably not a very good thing from what Tamara has told me about ADHD, because it's just a lot of uh, things flashing in front of you, and that's probably not a good thing for ADHD. And again, I'm not a doctor. I don't know that much, that much about it. I'm learning. But I, first of all, we all see how people are addicted to their screens. I was walking with my son today, and I, I heard the clank of a skateboard drop down behind us, and I'm like, okay, step over to the side, Sky. And sure enough, this uh, dude came by, and he's He's looking at his phone while he's skateboarding. And it's not the first time. And I see people on their bicycles looking at their phone, riding their bike down the street or on the sidewalk, looking at their phone. People on electric bikes also. And of course, we see people in their cars all the time looking at their phones. It's not a good thing. And you know, the thing is, people are just addicted to their phones and, uh, and the screen time. So the one thing I do and I've really had to press myself on it, and maybe you want to consider it yourself, is when I wake up in the morning, I don't jump on that phone. I do some meditation. I do some quiet, what I call box breathing, which is uh, inhale for 10, hold it for 10, exhale for 10, hold it for 10. I do that 10 times, really 
gets my energy moving in the right direction. And I try to do a lot of stuff to get myself ready for the day. And then I grab the phone. Now, of course, if I have something that's pending, I have to check on it. I'm going to check on it. But I find that clicking off the phone right before I go to sleep and clicking it on when I wake up or waking up in the middle of the night and start looking at the phone, not a, not a good thing. And I can't believe it helps people who don't have ADHD, much less people who do have ADHD. So just be careful with the screen time uh, and for those of your loved ones also. So Guys Guys Radio, we're here every Wednesday evening at 8 p.m. Pacific time on KCAA Radio here in Southern California, 102.3, 106.5 FM, 1050 AM. The replay of the show is every Sunday evening on KCAA at 6 p.m. Pacific time. My podcast and YouTube post every Thursday worldwide. We're also on Rumble now. So there's no excuse for you not to be able to download, listen live, stream, watch Guys Guys Radio, Guys Guys TV, where everywhere you consume your content. So please check us out and thank you for your support. And if you do enjoy the content I bring you and the guests I bring you each and every week, do me a favor, please subscribe to the podcast. Subscribe on Apple or wherever you you know uh, consume your podcast, and also uh, my YouTube channel. Uh, just use my name, Robert Manning. It goes to uh, Guys Guys TV. Thank you so much for that. You can also check out my website, robertmanningmanni.com. We've got over 300 blog posts, everything about life, love, the pursuit of happiness. You can also download three free chapters of my novel, The Guys Guys Guide to Love, which is the Kind of source material for everything Guy's Guy. It's a novel about two guys in advertising competing for love, sex, power, and money in New York City. It's been called The Male Successor to Sex in the City. So it's a perfect summer read for you. So if you're interested, get the three free chapters. If you dig it, you can order it online, physical, or ebook. We're here every week on Guy's Guy's Radio. I've got guest book throughout the summer. I think you're really going to enjoy it. We're learning a lot of stuff like we did today together. So I thank you for being with me. I thank you for joining me on this journey. And uh, we've got a lot more to go. So we're going to see you next week. And as I always like to say, guys, guys, finish first. <laughs>